0: Today, on Bread for the Broken, with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston.
1: Multiple times, they've threatened to take Moses' life, and his response to being reminded by God, you're going to die, and you don't get to go into the promised land, and here's why. His response is, please provide them a leader. Not like, this isn't fair. This isn't fair. He knew he misrepresented the holiness of God, but his heart was for the people. His heart was for the people. And so it's just a beautiful little like picture that kind of gets painted for us concerning the character of Moses, an amazing guy.
0: We tend to be pretty self-focused. We put ourselves at the center of nearly everything we do. And if something doesn't make us feel good or bring us some other benefit, we'd prefer to just move on and find something that does. That's not how a believer should approach life, especially if you're in leadership. And as Pastor James will point out, that's not how Moses approached life. He made mistakes and wasn't perfect by any means, but he devoted the better part of his life to serving God's people at a great cost. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Numbers chapter 27 with today's edition of Bread for the Broken.
2: Chapter
1: 27, verse 1. It says, One day a petition was presented by the daughters of Zelophehad, Malah, Noah, Hagla, Milcah, and Tirzah. Those are the five daughters. It says, Their father, Zelophehad, was a descendant of Hepher, son of Gilead, son of Machir, son of Manasseh, the son of Joseph. These women stood before Moses, Eliezer the priest, and the tribal leaders, or the tribal leaders, and the entire community at the entrance of the tabernacle. That's kind of where all the, the business dealings were done. It so says, these daughters say, our father died in the wilderness. They said, he was not among Korah's followers who rebelled against the Lord. He died because of his own sin. Just so we understand, he just died in the wilderness, okay? Was, yeah, we all sin we're all born sinners. So ultimately, I mean, yeah, you're you're going to death is a death is is a reality for us all, right? Well, for believers we sleep. Um the New Testament really kind of cleans that up for us a little bit, but um this guy's wandering through the wilderness and he just dies. Natural causes, I'm sure, okay? So they they are letting Moses and Eleazar and the whole community understand like we our dad died. Our dad and he didn't have any sons. He had us. So we need to be taken care of, right? And they're explaining this to them. They're, they're clarifying he wasn't part of the rebellion that Korah had started up. He just died because of his own sin. Uh, it says, but he had no sons. Why should the name of our father disappear from his clan just because he has uh, he had no sons? Give us property along with the rest of our relatives. Okay, so here they are, and they are just, what, what they don't understand is... Um, you know, what we can look back on is they're exercising James 4 too. You have not because you ask not, right? So they're like, we don't, our dad's name shouldn't die, you know, shouldn't just vanish or vanquish or dissipate or whatever. We need land. They, they needed a portion of the inheritance so that they would be, you know, they would have something if they get married. They have something to offer to a prospective husband. There's land. Um, but they, that would be assurance too that they would be taken care of. So, this is a new thing that has kind of come to Moses' attention. So, being the smart leader that he is, he's going to bring it before the Lord. Verse, uh, verse five. So Moses brought their case before the Lord. The Lord replied to Moses, the claim of the daughters of Zelophehad is legitimate. Okay? Listen to these ladies. You must give them a grant of land along with their father's relatives. Assign them the property that you, that, or that would have been given to their father. And give the following instructions to the people of Israel. If a man dies and has no son, then give his inheritance to his daughters. And if he has no daughter either, transfer his inheritance to his brothers. If he has no brothers, give his inheritance uh, to his father's brothers. But if his father has no brothers, give his inheritance to the nearest relative um, in his clan. This is a legal requirement for the people of Israel, just as the Lord commanded Moses. So what we have started here is the Leverite law. Okay, um, we we've seen this uh, really kind of acted out in one sense in the book of Ruth, right? Because you have Ruth who comes back, and she, you know, there's Boaz, and you know, and, and through all this stuff, like Ruth technically could should go to this guy, but Boaz was a he was a kinsman redeemer, but there was somebody else before him, and Boaz was like, look, you can you can have his land, this air, you know, your our relatives land. But that means you gotta marry Ruth. And the guy's like, I've already got a wife. Um, I don't need, I don't, I don't need, or maybe want another one. Um, and so Boaz is like, well, let me have the property and I'll marry Ruth. Okay. That's all part of this Leverite law that was instituted here because you had five daughters who were like, We shouldn't be left out just because we're daughters. We need some land as well. We need some assurance that we're gonna be taken care of as well. And It's just a beautiful thing where Moses brought that before the Lord. And the Lord's like, absolutely. Yeah, they deserve land. In fact, and then God to Moses is like, in fact, let's make a whole new law for this thing concerning if an individual dies and he doesn't have sons, then what we understand culturally, women weren't as considered as necessarily as valuable as men within that culture. Okay? So God's like, no, 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 no. They... They have a right to the, to the land as well, right? So he, he makes that, he institutes that as a, as a new law. Jump over to chapter 36. Verse 1 of chapter 6, or 36. It says, then the heads of the clans of Gilead, descendants of Mikeir, son of Manasseh, son of Joseph, came to Moses and the family leaders of Israel with a petition. They said, sir, the Lord instructed you to divide the land by sacred lot among the people of Israel. You were told by the Lord to give the grant of land owned by our brother Zelophehad to his daughters. But if they marry men from another tribe, their grants of land will go with them to the tribe into which they marry. In this way, the total area of our tribal land will be reduced. Then when the year of Jubilee comes, their portion of land will be added to that new tribe, causing it to be lost forever to our ancestral tribe. So they're like, oh, well, hold on, Moses. Um, we we have a question. Like, what if they marry outside of their clan?" Then doesn't our land, which was given to them, go over to their husband and his clan, right? So this a distinction and clarity is brought into this Leverite law. So Moses gave the Israelites the command from the Lord. The claim of the men of the tribe of Joseph is legitimate. This is what the Lord commands concerning the daughters of Zelophehad. Let them marry anyone they like, as long as long as long as it is within their own ancestral tribe. None of the territorial land may pass from tribe to tribe. For all the land given to each tribe must re- remain within the tribe to which it was first allotted. The daughters throughout the tribes of Israel who are in line to inherit property must marry within their tribe, so that all the Israelites will keep their ancestral property. No grant of land may pass from one tribe to another. Each tribe of Israel must keep its allotted portion of land. The daughters of Zelophehad did as the Lord commanded Moses, Mala, T- uh, Tirzah, Hoglah, Milcah, and Noah, all married cousins on their father's side. It was fine back then, by the way. They married into the class, or into the clans of Manasseh, son of Joseph. Thus their inheritance of the land remained within their ancestral tribe. These are the commands and regulations that the Lord gave to the people of Israel through Moses while they were camped on the plains of Moab beside the Jordan River across from Jericho. Now you jump back over to chapter 27. So you see how God is taking care of these ladies and, he, and he's, bringing order. And that's what I like about this is it's God's a God of order and could have got real messy. Could have got real messy if if God was a distant God, right? Not like in tune with the the lives of the people that he cares about. Like if he had just created everything and then picked the nation of Israel and was just kind of like took a step back and was like, I don't know, you guys figure it out. Would have gotten really messy really fast. Okay. But even within the the tribes and all that, the Lord is, is making sure that each tribe and each portion of land that they have stays as, as God intended it to. So just marry within your tribe. And what's also cool is that these daughters who had the courage, I would say, to even bring it up, right? To make it known like, hey, we don't want to cause any trouble, but we, we need land too. And so they, they have because they asked. Beautiful principle. Like, God's more than willing to give them the land that they were deserving of because of their dad. They, and they, they asked, and so they got it, but then they also were obedient to what else God had told, told them to do. Marry within your clan. And they, and they did that. So it's kind of cool. These five daughters, uh, that we saw last week, and then here they are again, mentioned. I wish Sarah was mentioned again, but she's not. Um, that was the one, you know, that really kind of threw me off of like, the name Sarah in the genealogy, and there's nothing about who she is or what she went on to do or anything like that. It's just a mystery. She was somebody significant enough to be mentioned within the genealogies that were recorded in numbers, but we don't know anything else about her. But we did learn more about the daughters, uh, the five daughters, which is just kind of cool to see. They asked, they received what they needed, God's taking care of them, and then even in the provision, they were still just obedient to everything God told them to do. Kind of cool, right? And so, then we get back into chapter twenty-seven. That was just a little, little field trip we went on, right? Chapter the the rest of chapter twenty-seven is the passing of a baton, so to speak. One day, the Lord said to Moses, "Climb on the mountains east of the river, the mountains of uh, Eberim, I think is what it is, and look out over the land I have given the people of Israel." Note that it says, "I have given," not "I will give," but "I have given." Look out over all that land. After you have seen it, you will die like your brother Aaron, for you both rebelled against my instructions in the wilderness of Zin. When the people of Israel rebelled, you failed to demonstrate my holiness to them at the waters. Remember when he, he took it into his own hands, right? God told him, Moses, just speak to the rock. And Moses was like yelling at the congregation. And then he strikes the rock like twice. And he misrepresented God in front of the whole congregation. And God's like, sorry, buddy, you don't get to go into the promised land, okay? So here God is reminding Moses of that epic fail, right? It was what we would attribute it as. It's like, oh my goodness, 40 years, like 40 years I've been with these people and, I, and I, I miss out. However, take note of Moses' attitude within this, right? So God lets him know, reminds him, you know, I want you to see the land, but you're not going to go in. And you know why, Moses. But here's why: um, these uh, the in the rest of that verse 14 says, "These are the waters of Mirabah at Kadesh in the wilderness of Zin." Then Moses said to the Lord, "O Lord, you are the God who gives breath to all creatures. Please appoint a new man as a leader for the community. Give them someone who will guide them wherever they go and will lead them into battle. So the community of the Lord will not be like sheep." Without a shepherd. Moses just hears from God and God's like, Moses, you're gonna die. Your time has come to an end. Like, this is where you say goodbye, basically. Now, it doesn't, he's, he's still gonna be in numbers, right? And so this moment is going to happen later, but God is letting Moses know, you're, you know, Moses, your, your expiration date has come up. Like, this is it for you. And Moses is hearing that and being reminded of his failure, was like, can you please provide for them a leader? Please provide for your children a leader, so they're not like sheep without a shepherd. Like that's the heart of a true leader right there. Like these people who have driven him nuts for 40 years, right? Like he has who if he still has hair, um, it's as gray as can be, I'm sure. Not just because he's a hundred plus years old, but um, just the stress of leading Millions of people, and for the, you know, the first part of that, these millions of people who were just rebellious towards him, towards God, who wanted to kill him, multiple times they, they threatened to take Moses' life. And his response to being reminded by God, you're gonna die, and you don't get to go into the promised land, and here's why. His response is, please provide them a leader. Not like, this isn't fair. This isn't fair. He knew he misrepresented the holiness of God, but his heart was for the people. His heart was for the people. And so it's just a beautiful little, like, picture that kind of gets painted for us concerning the character of Moses. An amazing guy. Truly an amazing man. The Lord replies, because he already has a solution, right? He already has solutions to all of our problems and questions and all that, okay? The Lord replies, take Joseph, son of Nun, who has the spirit in him and lay your hands on him, present him to Eliezer, the priest before the whole community and publicly commission him to lead the people. This is the transfer of leadership here. Okay. So he's going to, he's going to basically pass the baton on to Joshua. Who's been really his shadow for the past 40 years. Really? I mean, Joshua has been right there with Moses every step of the way, every step of the way. So it just makes sense that he would be the next leader. So he's gonna, he's gonna ordain him, so to speak, in front of the whole congregation. Verse 20, it says, transfer some of your authority to him so the whole community of Israel will obey him. When, uh, when direction from the Lord is needed, Joshua will stand before Eliezer, the priest, who will use the Urim, which is part of the, the vest that he had as a high priest, one of the sacred lots cast before the Lord to determine his will. This is how Joshua and the rest of the community of Israel will determine everything they should do. So Joshua is going to be the next leader, but he's not going to carry the same authority that Moses had. Because Moses was, you know, Moses is a part of the Levites. Joshua is not, right? And so Moses had this authority, like he heard from the Lord, and he communicated that out to the people, and that was the, set, that was the whole system then. But now you have Joshua And a setup that the Lord wants now is Joshua, concerning civil matters, you're the leader. Concerning like religious matters, you need to go to Eliezer. If, you know, discernment for, um, or priestly, with his priestly authority. Okay? So it kind of shared the load a little bit. But it also communicates to the people that, yeah, we we need to listen to Joshua just concerning all like civil things and his direction. And he's our general now. And then Eliezer as the high priest is going to lead us religiously, so to speak. So it's really kind of a cool thing that it's not just Joshua being elevated, but it's also the high priest being elevated because the high priest somewhat not, I mean, to a certain extent has been in the shadows of Moses the whole time. So even if it was Aaron, it still was like, yeah, but Moses is the guy, right? So um, so now you've got Joshua's determined as a leader, Eleazar's determined as a leader, And ultimately, Joshua would lead the nation of Israel into the promised land. Verse 22, so Moses did as the Lord commanded. He presented Joshua to Eliezer, the priests, and the whole community. Moses laid his hands on him and commissioned him to lead the people, just as the Lord had commanded through Moses. So here's Moses, no resentment, no bitterness, none of that. He cared for the nation of Israel. The baton needs to be passed, and so he graciously is willing to step aside. Now, there's other stories that are going to happen before this completely takes, you know, uh, takes hold as far as Joshua's leadership, but the Lord is just setting his people up to let them know Joshua's the man. And then you get into uh, what we're going to cruise through real fast is offerings. Why we're cruising through this real fast is because, like I said, we went into these in pretty extreme detail in the book of Leviticus, uh, which is Leviticus chapter 23. Just a reminder, or you want to go back to our Leviticus series, you can um, you can listen through it on that. But this is a reminder for a new generation about to go into the promised land. Here are the offerings that need to be made, okay? So daily offerings. Um, and as I read through these, what I would ask you to do is just put within the back of your mind how amazing Jesus is. The one sacrifice, the one sacrifice that we all need, um, which is just a beautiful thing. Now, there's a lot of practical application within each of these things and and all of that. But ultimately, we lean on, we rely on one sacrifice that was made, and it's Jesus. Okay? So verse 1 of 28, it says, The Lord said to Moses, Give these instructions to the people of Israel. The offerings you present as as special gifts are pleasing are uh a pleasing aroma to me. They are my food. So it's like God's like taking them in. He's taking it creates this really cool image of like when you offer something up to to the Lord, there's this communion that takes place. So it's not just like he sees it and is like, oh that's cool, I'll stick it on my fridge, right? Like we do with kids' art, right? We're like, Yeah, that's nice, I'll stick it on the fridge. Even though it may not be the best thing, I'm proud of you, it goes on the fridge, right? No, this is like our offerings to the Lord are taken in by him. They're taken in, they're received by him. It's beautiful. He says, see to it that they are brought at the appointed times and are offered according to my instructions. Here's the other thing. Concerning offerings, concerning worship and all that, God is a God of order and he's a God of instruction and he's not a God of chaos and and he, he, he wants us to know this is an appropriate way to worship me. It's really cool how he does that. So he lets us know, hey, if you're going to bring me offerings, and specifically for the children of Israel, if you're going to bring me offerings, this is how I want it to go. This is what I'm worthy of. I mean, I can't just bring whatever I want whenever I want. Well, kind of, but no. Um, yes and no. There's there's plenty of uh, allowances for free will offerings. But concerning specific offerings, there's a time and there's a place for it. So verse three, say to the people, this special gift you must present to the Lord as your daily burnt offering. You must offer one, or I'm sorry, two one-year-old male lambs with no defects. Sacrifice one lamb in the morning and the other in the evening. With each lamb, you must offer a grain offering of two quarts of choice flour mixed with one quart of pure olive uh, of pressed olives. New Living Translation gives us the, uh, the uh, English measurements. So you're, if yours is not, you're thinking like, what's, I don't know what this is. Um, I, I'm reading to you what it is, okay? Quartz is what we're talking about here. If you're wondering like, I don't know this measurement. It's cool. Two quarts of choice flour, one quart of olive oil. There you go. This is the regular Burns offering instituted at Mount Sinai as a special gift, a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Along with it, you must present the proper liquid offering, of one quart of alcoholic drink with each lamb. More than likely, that's probably wine is what's offered up there. With each lamb poured out in the holy place as an offering to the Lord. Offer the second lamb in the evening with the same grain offering and liquid offering. It too is a special gift, a pleasing aroma to the Lord. So here we go, that's our daily offerings. Now we get into the Sabbath offerings. On the Sabbath day, sacrifice one two-year-old uh, male lambs, or sorry, two one-year-old male lambs uh, with no defects. They must be accompanied by grain offering of four quarts of choice flour, moistened with olive oil, and a liquid offering. This is the burnt offering to be presented at each Sabbath day in addition to the regular burnt offering and its accompanying, uh, accompanying liquid offering. So you got an additional offering for the Sabbath right? So now you go into your monthly offerings. You're like, holy cow, this is why I said, don't you just appreciate Jesus so much? I would like, I mean, I, I would have to have some sort of planner um, because I would forget. I'd be like, oh wait, what day is it? Um, <laughs> oh, I didn't offer my morning offering. Um, praise God that uh, for Jesus and one sacrifice, one offering was made and it's just beautiful. Um, so your monthly offerings. The first day of each month, present an extra burnt offering to the Lord of two young bulls, one ram, one seven-year-old uh, male lambs, seven one-year-old male lambs. I don't know why I'm dyslexic all of a sudden. Um, seven one-year-old male lambs, all, all with no defects. These must be accompanied by grain offerings of choice moist, uh, flour moistened with olive oil, six quarts with each bull, four quarts with the ram, two quarts with each lamb, This burnt offering will be a special gift, a pleasing aroma to the Lord. You must also present a liquid offering with each sacrifice, two quarts of wine for each bull, a third of a gallon for the ram, and one quart for each lamb. Present this monthly burnt offering on the first day of each month throughout the year. On the first day of each month, you must also offer one male goat for a sin offering to the Lord. This is in addition to the regular burnt offering and its accompanying liquid offering. So it's just building up. You're just like, I hope you have a lot of livestock. Um, <laughs> and I hope you haven't grown too attached to them because you're going to be slaughtering a lot of those guys, right? If you're, if you're keeping up, you're just like, holy cow, like I got my daily offering then I got my Sabbath offering. Then I got my monthly offerings and then it doesn't end there.
0: This has been another edition of Bread for the Broken, and all of us here are so glad that you joined us today. The message you just heard was from the Book of Numbers, where Pastor James has been camping out. Our existence could definitely be seen as dotted with hills, valleys, streams, and rivers, couldn't it? I wonder if we would realize the evidence of God in our lives if we were to map it out on a piece of paper. You'd see where He showed up and where He corrected behavior, or maybe where He changed our course— Numbers is a book detailing the Israelites' desert stay after leaving Egypt. In it, we can see how disobedience and defiance don't go unnoticed. God is patient, but there comes a point when our actions deserve redirection, deserve a consequence. We can't follow God and obey what He says if our eyes are always focused on ourselves or our circumstances. So, what do you think? Are you ready for a shift in focus? Are you ready to find hope and new life in Jesus? If so, we'd love to pray with you and walk through that decision with you here at Bread for the Broken. Just visit us at breadforthebroken.com. Another way that you can connect with us is through our Facebook live stream. It's a great way to connect and learn from afar. We're a laid-back church in Galveston, Texas that just wants to magnify Jesus at all ages. Will you help us in this mission? On our website breadforthebroken.com, there's a donation link. It's easy to use, so we encourage you to check it out. We're so glad that you were able to sit and soak in the words of Jesus today with Pastor James. We look forward to meeting with you again next time here on Bread for the Broken. Let me
2: paint the picture of you.